This is Defenders TV Podcast Episode 126, about The Punisher Season 1, Episode 5, Gunner. Welcome back, Defenders, to this episode of Defenders TV Podcast, episode 126, where we are looking at episode 5 of season 1 of The Punisher, Gunner. Or is it Robin Hood? There were bows and arrows, there were forests, and of course there was Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio as well. It is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves podcast. I'm one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. And rounding out the group, I'm one of your hosts, Chris. Yeah, men in tights, definitely. <laughs> um, I think here. I don't I mean, think we'll ever see Frank Castle in tights. Sorry. And we have had previous uh, little uh, reference to that from Micro as well. Mm-hmm. Him being Robin Hood, yes. Yes. <laughs> Not him in tights. Yeah, he could be. <laughs> well, you never know. Perhaps the first ever Punisher um, costume was Lycra. You never know. If if we keep following Marvel now or um, the new Marvel universe, there may have been a first ever Punisher, yeah, back yeah, in he, those days. He could be going deep undercover in his lacy tights. Oh, I'm Frank. That sounded very <laughs> standard, John. I know, exactly. <laughs> Frank. Yes, and we're back with Gunner, episode five of The Punisher. Uh, and this is our spoiler-filled review of this episode. Um, obviously... I think Robin Hood was not a spoiler, but please, uh, for all this mindless chit chat, as well as some really interesting discussions and comments, please come on and join us over at our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. And if you want to send any thoughts in about the episodes, you can email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or pop on over to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com and leave us a voicemail up to 90 seconds of your thoughts about any of the episodes or the entire series of The Punisher. Just make sure you mark which episode it's about. And as we're a podcast, obviously, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You can do that over on Apple Podcasts by going through DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes or going to DefendersTVPodcast.com and selecting any of the podcast catchers of your choice to subscribe to. And as we learned quite recently over at Chris's house, you can also just say, OK, Google, play the latest episode of Defenders TV Podcast. And hopefully your Google player at home will now be playing our latest episode. That's probably annoyed you quite a lot, hasn't it? <laughs> Sorry, fellow Defenders. Yeah, but uh, what better way to kick off our day? But let's get on to the episode. Derek, would you like to tell us everything this beautiful Gunner episode gave us? Yes, this episode was written by Michael Jones Morales, a first-time writer over on the Marvel Netflix shows. Uh, he came from Warehouse 13, where he was a staff writer on there, and also on Mind Games, a TV show. And recently he's been working on Into the Badlands and Containment. Also another first-timer in the Marvel Universe, Irish director Dervla Walsh is joining the Marvel Universe. Uh, she's done a bunch of TV shows right back in Ireland from Ross Naroon, the soap opera, where she started. Uh, also worked on The Tudors in Ireland uh, and did seven episodes of UK's Shameless and worked on two episodes of Fargo in the US. And John, she did a couple of episodes of Penny Dreadful. Yes, she did. She is Penny Delightful. Yes, wonderful yes. Irish director. Really glad to have her over on uh, on the Punisher. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. 
Waking up bruised and battered after her Steve McQueen moment with Frank Castle, Dina Madani confides in Sam Stein about her rescue at his hands. Just as she asks Stein to keep the secret and official Homeland Security investigation into the failed operation gets underway that threatens to expose their secret under oath. Frank and David go looking for answers from the man behind the camera at Zubair's execution, a reluctant witness and former squad mate of Frank's Gunner Henderson. But they are not the only ones who have an active interest in Gunner. Frank finds Gunner in the Kentucky woods where he learns from Gunner about Schoonover and Agent Orange's heroin smuggling operation, just as a team of US forces descends on their position. From an office far away, a one-eyed CIA operative directs the operation to silence Gunner, but as his team are picked off one by one with the help from Micro and his recon drone, Agent Orange sees a ghost as the face of Frank Castle looms in the fallen soldier's body cam. Whilst Frank and Gunner win the battle, Gunner is mortally wounded and Frank is also seriously wounded, only to be rescued by Micro who patches him up and drives him back to New York. Ooh, battling Frank Castle with his partner Gunner in this episode. Some cool moments in here. Yeah, very PlayStation first-person shooter. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Loved it, actually. Really liked uh, that camera work. It was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I really loved the scene. Actually, um, one of my favorite voice actors, uh, Travis Willingham, who some of our listeners may know from uh, Critical Role, which is a D&D video, I suppose, on YouTube and Twitch, etc., where him and other voice actors like Laura Bailey, Matt Mercer play. He actually was in this. So uh, quite a while ago, he started leaking photos of him running around the woods with... Um, in camo. So if you don't know who he is, he's the guy that gets killed by the trap. And the oh, only nice. reason I could think they could get him for that is because as a voice actor, he's quite okay just going uh, 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 for hours <laughs> upon filming. I like so I was like, interesting. I like uh, it. But yeah, cool. great for great episode overall. Uh, why do we say we get into it? Absolutely, yeah. If it's your first time joining us for this podcast, we're going to talk about our five case notes for this Punisher War Journal, uh, the ones that stood out to us in this episode. John, do you want to kick us off with point number one, Paige versus Madani? Yes, yes, I do. This was um, this was the Battle of the Ladies, and I have to say, I really uh, enjoyed uh, this scene between the two, uh, between Karen Page and uh, Dina Madani. Um, you know, Madani is fresh from the hospital bed. She's still bruised and battered. Um, she brings uh, Page in after kind of going through sort of the file of Frank Castle here. Uh, and she sees, you know, that Paige has had a, a meteoric start to her time in New York. Mm-hmm. And she calls this out as well. Um, but, but it's a real sort of battle of wills here and I kind of liked it you know we see Karen flip the situation to sort of try and get notes and and build a story around what happened down at the docks but at the same time I really kind of like that uh, Madani really makes uh, Karen uncomfortable uh, with some of her questions about Mm -hmm. Frank Castle and for me actually in my view it challenges or Madani really challenges Paige's sort of single view on, on Frank Castle. And I think her working presumption of that she has the moral high ground with 
in a sense, respecting Frank Castle. Mm. You know, there are two sides here, and I think it really comes out in this scene between Karen Page uh, and Dina, and I really, really like it um, because I, I think it... I think Karen Page is a great foil for, for Frank, but at the same time, is she too deep in there, you know? And I think, uh, Madani really kind of sort of puts her investigative work and, and skills to use on, on Page here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to the point where Page does have to reconnect with, with Frank, uh, down by, uh, the river, uh, in New York there and, and to, to really try and, in a sense, warn him that she is onto, Absolutely. uh, him and has been asking, you know, fairly probing questions about this. I think in particular, the, the Carson Wolf, sort of flip by Karen Page was really good where, you know, it's, it's trying to unsettle, uh, Madani here. And both of them were trying to unsettle. I mean, I actually do think that Page is fully aware that Madani knows that she's lying, mm-hmm. even though she, um, is giving the standard story that Frank Castle is dead. So yeah, I thought this was a really powerful scene between, uh, these two, uh, ladies of, of the Punisher world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love the kind of flip, as you say, that, that Karen Page does, where she effectively says, I'm well informed, much like you must be in your job. It's effectively like she's trying to resettle the playing field or right, resettle the battlefield before they get into a real fight here. She's not someone that can just be walked over. Um, she's not just a reporter. She knows what's going on and knows there's something corrupt going on in Medini's office. That's, that's kind of where she starts out from, and I like that they kind of settle that. There's some great moments in this scene. It's really good. The very first two seconds of the scene, you see Karen kind of nervously twitching with a pen yeah. on, the de- on the table, and I'm like, oh, no, she's going to, like, this is, does not bode well for this scene. You know, she's right. going to get railroaded by Medini. Mm-hmm. And then, as you guys say, like, there's this almost like flip of the roles. Karen suddenly stops kind of stammering, not stammering, I say, but the, you could, the nervousness of her speech pattern kind of disappears mm-hmm. as things start to, she, as she begins to become more confident yes. in what she, what she is saying and that she is on an even playing field, as you guys said. Really nice. I think it's that moment, yeah, when Dinah says to her, um, hold off on this story until the full facts are available, which is effectively almost exactly the words that, that Ellison, her editor had said that Carson Wolf told him a year ago about the story about Micro. So that moment makes Karen Page realize, hang on a second, somebody else in this office is also trying to cover something up here. I'm onto a, I'm onto a good lead, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's that journalistic moment from Karen. It is, but the great thing is she doesn't realize that that cover up is of Frank Castle himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where then Madani really sort of, again, comes back at Karen. And I think it, it's almost like a, a fencing duel or mm-hmm. something like that between the two. And I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah. Okay. But what did you guys think of the reconnection between Paige and Frank by the waterside? Um, actually, I walked by that waterside last night. Really? In Jersey on the way back, yeah. It's a beautiful area of town. Really beautiful scene, scenery around that area. Beautiful scenery, not a beautiful area of town at night. <laughs> True. What were you saying, doing in a dodgy area of town at night, Chris? I was driving, sorry, I shouldn't, wouldn't say I'm walking by. I was driving by on a bus back to right. New York from Boston. Beautiful area. Do not stop. 
<laughs> yeah, I um, I thought when Karen sort of meets up with Frank again, I think it's uh, I think it's really interesting because I mean I know I did kind of say about Karen's one world view here, but she does question Frank's endgame, you know, mm-hmm. almost the futility of it, and I love her her term endless echoing loneliness that she sees is in front of Frank Castle that his his sole focus is about killing these men but that these men who he will go after will simply be painted as martyrs mm-hmm. um, and that the stories will be covered up and their narrative will be the one that is told uh, not Frank's you know that almost Frank's dark side of, of his personality his involvement in the war in Afghanistan that his anti-hero story in a sense uh, is set in stone by those people in power. That narrative is set. Um, and, and I think for, for Karen being in a, in a newspaper, she is, you know, questioning why he is doing this. Just melt away almost, you know, it will be Frank as well that suffers from this because at the end of it, he's still going to be lonely. He's still going to have um, his wife and children's deaths and that he has to try and come to terms with it. So I, I also, I thought Karen was really good in this episode um, and I really liked her in these two scenes. I thought they were really good. Yeah, I kind of liked the fact that she was echoing kind of the Ben Uric version of journalism back from the days of Daredevil season one when she was hanging around with him. This idea of why are you killing these people, Frank? I work for a newspaper. Let's get the story out there and let's take them down. And Frank's kind of going, journalism doesn't work like that anymore. It's just a story. I need to kill these people. And that's kind of when, when Karen is having this moment of, well, if you kill these people, then there's going to be more people that you have to kill and you're going to continue on this. I need, I need to see a future for you outside of just killing people that are involved in this death of your family. I do like that. I like that she's, that that's, that's her point of view. It's nice to see Karen's point and why she's even dealing with Frank anymore. Yeah. Quick question as well. Um, when she talks about this endless echoing loneliness, mm. um, and she then goes on to say, we're all lonely. And I'm just wondering, you know, we, we've talked about where the Punisher lies within this uh, Marvel Netflix universe timeline. Yeah. But it, it seems to me that in her saying that there is some kind of reference to losing Matt Murdock here. Maybe, yeah. Um, that, you know, she feels lonely now. Uh, whether it's because, you know, they were apart, they had, um, a bit of trouble in their relationship and now he's gone. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm wondering about that actually, because I know that this show was greenlit during, uh, Daredevil season two, when just after it aired, this, uh, the Punisher was, went into production. Since then, we've had the full season of Iron Fist. We've had the full season of Defenders. I'm not sure whether they were intending on airing the Punisher before the Defenders or as this release date came so late, whether it was, the decision had been fully made when it was completed as to when it was going to air. So I think they're trying to play on either of those things, either the fact that Karen's separated from, uh, Matt Murdock now or that this is after the end of, of Defenders and what happens in Defenders. I think it could play either way because of that reason that they weren't sure when it was going to actually be released on Netflix. So they didn't want to have a definitive mention of what happened in the Defenders because of that. Yeah, no, that that, that makes sense to me. I think um, potentially and we'll get have a reshoot or there will have been a reshoot around episode 12, 13 that will probably give us a definitive stamp in time. Maybe. Hopefully, because I would like to know where this sits. Yeah. Um, because it is becoming almost too opaque, too, too, 
non-transparent because they're just kind of like, well, it could be this or it could be this. Eh, mm. What did you decide? To me, I think it's more they're kind of saying it doesn't matter because Defenders, as we said, took place over three days. There's a resolution there and there's not a huge amount discussed here about where Karen's sitting. So I think it can it can play either way. And I don't know whether they will actually address uh, whether it took place after or not because, well, the Punisher wasn't in the Defenders. So it doesn't really matter to his story. Uh, as a character as to, as to when it takes place. And we just know it took place after season two of, of Daredevil. I believe when it takes place does actually count on something because we're about to see what we know is Karen and Frank going after some pretty high-ranking individuals. Mm-hmm. There will be some serious fallout from this. And as Karen says, some of these people may be painted as martyrs and the Punisher becomes a the Punisher that we know and love from the comic books. This anti-hero. So this will continue as well. Maybe, yeah. I think they'll have to address it at some point, but I think you're as you're right. As of right now, as of episode five in this storyline, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it will matter towards the end as the body count rises and the uh, the stakes of who is involved and what the fallout is does become more stake-filled, if you will. <laughs> Perhaps. So, I did. I just wanted to talk about Karen's questioning of Frank's endgame. Um, shock horror. I am completely in agreement with Karen Page. Wow. Yeah. What I'm, I'm, I'm seeing here is... Uh, okay. Our previous listeners uh, who have kind of been with us for a while or have gone back and listened to Daredevil Season 1, our coverage there, will know that sometimes I disagreed with Karen, uh, the, the character. Not Deb Brownwell, the the actress. Karen Page, the character in mm-hmm. this. Uh, and her motivations and her kind of... her The way her approach to things. I actually agree with her here completely and wholeheartedly. And I see Frank as being the stubborn army guy um, and it's very well written in that he's so entrenched in his own morality and his own point of view that he's refusing to see the actual um, writing on the wall that Karen is actually putting there mm-hmm. like this is you. the more of these men you kill the more they'll become martyrs the more you become the villain and I think that's a fantastic view of what this is. Absolutely. Which is the more men Frank kills in what we now know, we can talk about it later, the enemy being revealed and where he is, Agent Orange, and who he is. Mm-hmm. Like, now we know potentially who he's going to be in the next few weeks and Frank killing him then. Frank was in the right, or we believe Frank is in the right, if you believe in an eye for an eye, literally. But I just think, I, I don't know, I, I found this really interesting. I yeah. found probably that the way her character or the script was written for this scene, I found it it connected with me. Uh, and I suppose this is the first time in a long time that I've actually gone, and not just in this point, but actually the point where she's, when she's shouting down with Danny, um, that yeah. I've really kind of gone, wow, She's saying all the right things and connecting with this act with this character because she suddenly 
speaking sense. I think that's my big point. Okay. Um, and I'm surprised. Uh, but I more I also thought like it was fantastic. It's interesting to see that Frank is the 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 staunch advocate of on this one who who is not willing to change his point of view. Yeah, I think what we saw in episode three was that he had made the decision they're all going to die. That's that's kind of where he is now. He's he's made that decision. I think it's really important for the show if it's going to make any kind of impact or cause any kind of discussions, which it wants to cause, that it does present both sides of the argument. There are people like I presume most of us that if somebody wrongs you, you don't take a gun out and kill them. Um, that's not Frank. That's kind of that's kind of Frank's attitude. Is these people have wronged me? I have decided they're going to die. Karen's saying there is another way out of this. You have another option here. You don't have to go and kill them. So by presenting both sides of that argument, it does create these kind of discussions, which is what we like about the Marvel shows, you know. So it's great that those objections were voiced through the character of Karen. It makes total sense that that would be her character. She's had those same discussions with Daredevil, Matt Murdock, back in in Daredevil season one and two, as to. Why would he do what he does? Why doesn't he just leave it to the authorities? So it does make total sense as to why she would say this. Definitely. But I think we can move on to war journal point number two. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, yeah, Micro and his steak sandwich and the road trip. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, this is kind of like the Griswolds go on, on tour. Um, I kind of really liked uh, this. I, th I thought it was a real nice little connection between Frank uh, and David Lieberman. Frank is busting uh, David's balls all over the show here, both, uh, you know, another visit to his wife's house. Mm -hmm. um, he's questioning his judgment. Um, you know, he just thinks this guy is a tech head with his head in, in the circuit board and doesn't really understand maybe the real world that as Frank conceives it. Um, but, you know, you start to see some real kind of sense of respect for, for David from, from Frank. Uh, you know, I think he mentions to, to Karen there on, on the waterfront, you yeah. know, his sense of respect for him getting out in front of the people who are chasing him and being able to keep his family safe. Uh, and alive yeah um you know and it, uh, this is a real nice sense of developing their partnership here i think uh for the show but interesting i really enjoyed it yeah but interestingly he doesn't even mention it to david he really just bust his balls the whole time but then mentions to karen actually he was probably right in doing what he did but never says to david at all you know it's really like i want to keep this guy at arm's length i want to tell him that he's useless and i'm the only useful one here and then he goes and tells Karen, actually, he did something pretty cool. He kept his family alive by doing what he did. I think that's quite interesting. He is so mean. He's Frank so is so mean. <laughs> he is. But I did really like him in this episode. I, yeah, no, I, I have to admit, this this was a standout episode for me, for the characters alone, the character growth and mm -hmm. relationship growth between the characters. But, dude, like, you know David is trying to help you, and you're still going, yeah, I'm going to look after your wife. Mm -hmm. your yeah, wife. I know. And he actually is going to see his wife. So I'm like, much. oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've, you made your point. Yeah, definitely. I must say, I really liked uh, David's daughter here um, in, in this episode. You mm -hmm. know, she's talking about Life of Pi, which we see Micro um, reading later in the woods as he's kind of waiting and doing recon for Frank as, as he's looking for Gunner. Um, but she, I think she was really good. And I think you really got a sense from her that she's looking for that father figure mm -hmm. uh, back in, in her life and that she's kind of wanting Frank to hang around a bit more, even more so than maybe 
David's wife, Sarah. So I really thought she was uh, playing a good little part here. The other thing that I really love from this road trip was uh, as Micro is is making up Frank's dehydrated meal and then whips out a massive sub. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thickest Sarnie I've ever seen. I think how Evan Moss Bacharach here, his facial expressions are are fantastic in that he's trying to keep to himself how he says, well, you really like that dehydrated stuff. Um, And I have to say, this was the moment when I realized um, that he could play Gene Wilder um, in a Gene Wilder biopic. He has kind of got, with I think, with the curly hair and those eyes that are just flitting all over the place in, in the cabin of that van uh, as he's kind of ruefully chomping down on his big sandwich. Mm-hmm. I just thought was absolute class. It, it made me chuckle. So- I, I think it was a real nice little humorous part of of this uh this episode so if anybody's casting for a new young frankenstein you're looking at uh your gene wilder character in there yeah oh, definitely dr frankenstein uh, yeah <laughs> frank looks genuinely hurt when he's not he not does, given a sandwich he? and effectively he's told well all the stuff was in the fridge i just thought you liked the pot noodle which is what he's eating like it's really important here to remember the last person that gave frank a sandwich he killed eight people for them like that's pretty that's pretty uh dedicated to his sandwich loving is our frank um so yeah what's he gonna do to a guy who doesn't make him uh make him a sandwich although i suppose he does step up later on in the episode doesn't he yeah but I do love the, that moment in the road trip. It's always good with these kind of characters when you have this kind of interplay where you have um, David talking to him and just will not stop talking. This is something that Frank is a character who's just very silent. He will go on a mission and probably wouldn't talk for a week if he didn't need to. And you've got David going on and on about the fact that Cerebus means something different in the original Roman. And effectively, the name Cerebus means spotted. So effectively, Cerebus the dog is spot the dog. And that means you're spot the dog. Isn't that hilarious, Frank? And Frank's like, please just shut your mouth. You're not here for that. Uh, Just thought it was a, a fun little scene between the two of them. Yeah, and it was the never-ending sandwich as well because uh, the following day he's still chomping down on this massive uh, footlong um, mm-hmm. as he's reading Life of Pi. Yes. It yeah. is the never-ending sandwich. Yes, and obviously Life of Pi is our book watch for this episode. That's the, well, that the big book featured in the episode. A great book, by the way, If you and if you haven't seen the film, an awesome movie too. But yeah, who doesn't love a road trip? Chris, do you want to take us on to point three? Yes, I do. So, our enemy is revealed in all his one-eyed glory, mm. if you will. Uh, or, what I should say, one eye and then one milky eye. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you got that, if you have that thing, you'd think you'd wear, like, a Nick Fury eye patch. No, bad like, guys don't get those in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> why? Because <laughs> it looks much cooler for the good guys to have them. I'm calling right now for eye patch equality. I think if it looks that cool, if it's milky and it's got those scars outside, it effectively is saying that, look what I did for the country. I think that's what he's trying to do. Could you imagine that being your first day at CIA school? And Mm. it's like you have, you know, one-eyed, one-milky-eyed guy sort of going in saying, yeah, I've had to process a lot of crap uh, for the country Mm -hmm. and you will do too. And it's like, okay, yeah. It's like, Uh, look what I gave up. Look what you might have to give up, kids. Uh, Okay, I should have gone for the FBI. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but he does reveal his name is William Rollins. Yes, 
So finally, now we know who Agent Orange is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that he is William Rollins of CIA fame, if you will, or infamy, if mm-hmm. you will, um, is quite interesting. So this character does have quite a history with the Punisher in the comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been known, I think he came in around the, the, the Max series days. Which would have been the Garth Ennis um, run. Oh yes, um, yes. back in. I'm going to say the early nineties. Uh, I need to check that one, if you will. But he's he's always been this shady CIA um, spook, right? Who followed in his father's footsteps? Who uh, his father working directly with Shield back in the day as well, right? He sees a very thin line between good and bad. It's quite blurred. Yeah. And he's always known as that. Um, he's had some great uh, Punisher story arcs. So if you're interested more about this character, check out Mother Russia, Up is Down and Black is White, and finally Man of Stone, which were some of the... the oh, also Valley of Forge. Um, all great Punisher, Max, Garth Ennis storylines cool. featuring this uh, character. He's had a sordid relationship with the Punisher, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to get into that because I feel it may they may have drew inspiration yeah. for this overall, what they're going to do in this storyline in the, the series for what they may do here. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, Agent Orange, William or Bill Rollins. Yes. Yeah, Bill. Um, yeah, and he's because he's, he's tapping. Nadani's office by the looks of it as well. You know, he's listening on her and Sam's conversation. Yeah. So he's certainly got his eyes and ears or his eye and ears uh you know, all over the place. Yeah. Um and obviously I think later on we, we see him, you know, in that fantastic sort of scene of directing the special ops guys uh, going in uh, to to try and capture or kill Gunner. Yeah, so despite his kind of fairly shady background, uh, as we know, um, he's he's here, we see him getting the Distinguished Intelligence Medal, and that probably falls into what you were saying, Chris. Um, you know, his, his idea of where the boundary of good and evil is is quite blurred, and maybe... Everything in service to his country is deemed to be good by him, even if it crosses a moral or ethical line, I suppose. Uh, But it's interesting then that potentially here there is a subplot um, where he could be getting promoted to a deputy director as Marion James, who gives him the medal, is looking to get to be director of the CIA. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It, it feels like this storyline is that he's taken the opportunity afforded to him by being this high-level member of the CIA that's there to set up and take out targets, um, very difficult targets of the US. Uh, so he's not evil for doing that, for killing the people that he's been told to kill. That's not why he's evil, because effectively that's what Nick Fury does all the time for S.H.I.E.L.D. It's effectively taking out the enemies of the world, the enemies of the planet, the enemies of the U.S. Um, That's not why he's evil. We find out, obviously, that the reason why he's evil is because, well, he's filling the dead bodies of servicemen with heroin to transport back to the to the U.S. along with Schoonover. So that's why he's evil. It's not yes, it's not for true. doing the job of the CIA because, well, effectively, there are people that have to do these kind of dirty jobs, and he seems to be more than willing to do it. 
while having a little job on the side to sell a bit of heroin. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, although I do like it when Marion says, is there anything I should be aware of? And it's like, no. Uh, uh-oh. <laughs> I hope Marion, you, you've got a file on him. <laughs> yes. A nice little gag, actually, that Marion is the name of the character. And obviously she did play Marion in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So a second Marion character yeah. for Mary Elizabeth Mastin Antonio. Do you think he might cut her heart out with a spoon? I hope not. Do you, do you think it's it's a pure chance that the one episode where we have Guy hunting with a bow that she's introduced? <laughs> nope. I was like, damn, God, come on, guys, that's off the nose. Like, you know, they could if they hadn't even put her at the end of the last episode or introduced her in the next episode. No, they're like, no, no, we have Guy hunting with a bow. Mm-hmm. You know what? This is where Marion comes in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, she must sit there going, I'm forever going to be known as Maid Marion. Absolutely. Forever. It was one of the biggest songs in history. Yeah. Although in fairness, at least it's not The Abyss. I really don't get that, that movie. Oh, that's an amazing movie, but a completely oh. different topic. Oh, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never got it. Anyway, so on to this. So two things on this. One, I'm really, really interested by this overall um, intro to Rollins where we see him discuss, but as he pretty much says, it's like he's, he's done some evil things in order for people to sleep well at night. And have a cup of coffee in the morning. I've, I've done yes. bad things just to get my first coffee in the morning. Not that bad though. No. Well, like, I'm hoping you haven't killed people. No, no. Smuggled heroin. No. Um, but, you yeah. know, if I don't get my coffee in the morning. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I've seen you without coffee. True. I, I just found this a really interesting. It was a nice way to introduce a character by going, here is the character's motivation. Mm-hmm. This is why the character does what he does. It's quite yeah. cool, or at least isn't it? What he considers to do what he does. Yeah. yeah. Like I, th- I think it's quite cool because effectively he's he's the proxy version of so many characters that we've seen leading offices in the CIA and the FBI, but we know his backstory is really bad. Yet he's the one that it, that's introducing these new young recruits into the CIA, but right behind the facade that he's presenting to them, he's doing some pretty bad shady stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, he really plants his flag in, in the turf here uh, as to at least his... what he believes in officially um you know and it is a real nice way of getting to meet the bad guy it's kind of like saying this is for my country it'll be interesting to see whether you know we really get to see how um that side of him that he's talking to these new recruits about uh, and were he suddenly realized um you know, packing the dead bodies of fallen comrades and soldiers uh, with heroin were, you know, where maybe he fell a little uh, from, from this this kind of um, job that he um, finds, so, uh, you know, so honourable, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it is interesting. I'm going to end it with the second point that I found, which was this Distinguished Intelligence Medal. Mm-hmm. So Operation Cerberus was a success, according to them. He took out some pretty bad people. Uh-huh. And that's what she says. You took out some bad people. Yes. So we can assume that the way that he has presented the success or presented Cerberus is considered successful to the CIA. Is it definitely Operation Cerebus or another operation that he headed? So we see that Marion doesn't mention the name of the operation. She just says that over his time working 
for the CIA, he has taken out some high-level targets. She doesn't necessarily reference service, and we, we had heard previously from David that the operation was definitely not sanctioned. So don't know what that means just yet, uh, or I'm not going to say what that means just yet anyway, um, but we're not sure whether this is specifically about Cerebus or whether it may be other other people that he took out after Frank left the army or possibly before Operation Cerebus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, Let's I wait and see. I, yeah. And I mean, I wonder what Marion's role in this is. Mm. You know, it may not have been officially sanctioned by the Senate, but was it sanctioned within the CIA? Because certainly later on, she's kind of, I want to get things done. I'm about results. Um, I'm not about playing politics. So, mm-hmm. she, you know, she's got a definite focus there. Um, really good. But yeah, I think on to, uh, war journal note number four, mm. Madani and Stein under investigation and Madani and Russo under the covers. Yes, we <laughs> have, um, kiss and tells and many a secret here between, uh, Madani and Stein. And then lastly with Russo as yeah. well. Yeah, I really like Stein here. Um, one of our followers over on the Facebook group, uh, Jeff Childs was saying how, you know, he, he's the man that keeps being put outside, uh, the door, you know, asked to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and I completely agree with him here. I feel sorry for Sam Stein. Um, he is constantly moving in and out of doors, mm-hmm. um, and being told to leave rooms. <laughs> um, but I do like that for the first time here, we get Madani trusting in him willing to tell him her little secret which was that she was pulled from her upturned car by frank castle Mm -hmm. Um, and of course i think what i like even more then is that during the ensuing sort of homeland investigation uh into this failed operation you know stein is very much i'm gonna i'm gonna blab under oath you know i can't keep this a secret and but he stays loyal to her under this cross examination and i I really like that. I, I'm hoping this really moves their their partnership along. Um, because inherently, I like the two of them, but I don't think it's been driven along as, as much as it could have been done at this stage. Mm. Um, and I, I really want to see this work because I have a little, a little, a little soft spot for Sam Stein yeah. and his... I mean, basically, when he dies, he is going to be this ghost of going in and, and through walls and doors, you know, because that's just what he's used to at this <laughs> stage. In and out of rooms, yeah. 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 No, I, I do like this. I like that, that Madani finally trusts Stein with some information. Um, it feels like she's definitely been keeping him at arm's length, been very much treating him like her, like she's his boss all the time since she arrived. And at this stage, it's time for the two of them to work together. So yeah, I do like this moment. I do like that he keeps her secret as well. Um, it would be pretty bad if you worked for Homeland Security and couldn't keep a secret, wouldn't it? <laughs> so I'm glad that he did have a little bit of training in keeping secrets. Definitely. But that's the same thing that Marion says about the CIA in, in a, in an organization full of secret keepers. How come her potential promotion uh, and aim for directorship uh, mm-hmm. isn't a secret? Aye. Office gossip costs lives. I'm telling you, yeah, <laughs> that should be the CIA's coffee mug mantra. I'm referencing that kind of from uh, propaganda in the UK, which was aimed at um, making sure that people didn't sort of have a loose tongue so that potential spies during World War II didn't pick up any sensitive information. Of course. I think it was like careless talk cost lives. Mm-hmm. Um, or a loose lip sig chips, yes. Yes, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I really do enjoy this Madani Stein kind of character arc. Mm-hmm. What I'm finding is, as John said, it is really slow. Mm-hmm. 
Like, just get on with it. We're five episodes in now. Like, we're nearly halfway, people. Give me, what are you trying to tell me with this story? I, I suppose the only thing I can get from this is that Stein will not crack under pressure. Well, he's now on her side, yeah. Well, we thought he would crack under the investigation pressure. That was what we expected. That's what they led you to believe. And then they flipped it that no, he didn't. Mm-hmm. So, really good. But speaking of loose lips sinking ships, it is Sam Stein's fault that the attack on Gunnar Henderson happens because he comes into uh, Dina Madani's office reading out the names of all of the uh, former members of Frank's task force, um, which is being overheard by William Rollins. So, by having this office gossip or office discussion that, that uh, is had by Sam Stein, um, unfortunately, Gunnar Henderson and Frank Castle are both in the crosshairs of... Uh, of William Rollins. Yeah. But I suppose that's it. In this given situation, does Sam Stein know that the office is tapped no. because he is, um, more than meets the eye? Or, you know, is, is it kind of, are we going to get a real partnership, uh, between these, these two are on an equal footing fighting for the same cause? Or is there a betrayal in the air between these two? So firstly, you, think Stein is more than meets the eye. Is he a Decepticon or Autobot? <laughs> what does he transform into? Well, that's it. it does he transform into a, a, a Transformer like Madonna, or is he a, a Decepticon? Uh, because actually he he's involved in the same way that Carson Wolf is, uh, the same way that Agent Orange. So is he giving Agent Orange those names knowing that the office is tapped? You know, in like like with Luke Cage, is this a case of um, Misty Knight and her partner who ends up being Dodge. Mm, maybe, maybe. Actually, it's, it's a good theory. It's something I've been thinking about too. Like, how, how do you, how do you make that character even more? Um, which is that you build this relationship with Madani up until towards the end and then pull the curtain back that he's been in. He's actually, been one of the the leaders in the Homeland Security infiltration. Yeah, he's, he's Megatron. I did think it was interesting that Rollins is not listening live to their conversation. If you notice, they have the conversation and then a little bit later, Rollins is listening back to a tape of the conversation. Yeah, because it's being repeated. He's not listening live to it. So potentially somebody's dropping off that tape. It's not a, uh, it's not just a bug that he's listening to, or he's just going into his office and listening back on the recording of the day. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Sam Stein is still to be confirmed as a genuine member of Homeland Security here. You know, working with Madani and not against her, I think. See, I love thrillers. I love that you have to work out whether any character is trustworthy or not. And Madani, speaking of loose lips sink ships... Loose lips sinks Russo, I think, in this uh, in this episode. Wow, this is potentially the most graphic sex scene we have ever had in a Marvel Cinematic Universe, including Netflix, episode. I still think Jess and Luke is much hotter and much more graphic than this one. Uh, I don't know, I think I'm with Chris here. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like, the, the, the Jess and Luke one was just all about superpowers. This is just like... This is just hot. Yeah, I, it's certainly on a par um, right. with 
the first Luke and Jessica moment, I think. Um, you know, and I mean, we have with, uh, with Russo as well, him kind of bragging to Frank previously in, uh, in, in one of the other episodes about his abilities uh, and that, you know, why should this talent, uh, be wasted when he gets back from, uh, active service? Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes on act from active service into active duty, um, I suppose. I think it's really good. I think it's healthy that this stuff is shown in Marvel because, I mean, it's like, this is life. It's where babies come from. <laughs> 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 um, or not, maybe. But I suppose, you know, as much as the violence that Frank Castle has, you know, this is another part of life that happens. Can I just say I felt so sorry almost for Dina Madani. She's just had a car accident. Did you see those bruises at the opening of this episode? And even when Russo touches her, just touches her yeah. lightly, you get a little wince out of her. I'm not too sure how painful sex must be after that when the, when he is touching quite a lot of her body. She She was in pain. The question is, she's got what she wants from Russo. That is the thing. She's gotten everything she thinks she can get from Russo. To the point where he still thinks Castle's dead. Mm-hmm. So is this her just trying to continue uh, a lead? So does she think she can get more out of Russo? Or is she actually getting genuine emotions for Russo? Or is she just horny? To put it very bluntly. <laughs> is she literally working the case? Or is she trying to just get a release from sort of everything that's gone on. But yeah, I think it, it, it's interesting, this whole idea of her and Russo hooking up. You know, he knows that um, she's trying to extract information from him. But it seems as though they kind of, they also do have something, or at least, you know, just on a pure physical front. Yeah. Um, or, you know, is Russo working her in terms of, you know, what is his role here with Kandahar, uh, you know, other than just simply um, being a member of the team with Frank, is he this benefactor for the war vets and, and just heads up this sort of private security firm with Anvil? Is there some deeper, darker connection with Schoonover, even with Agent Orange that we still haven't seen yet? Um, and so, you know, I think this relationship is really, really interesting because they certainly don't mind connecting, whether it's in the bar, in the bedroom, at the shooting range or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's all fairly on the nose. Uh, they both know that they're trying to look for information from, from one another, or at least Russo at the moment is absolutely clear that she is and trying to find out more information about Kandahar. Yeah. So I, I, I think this is a really interesting, complex situation of, of these two characters that have led to this moment where, you know, Billy and Dina do get intimate with one another. Um, and it's kind of an interesting direction for this, this relationship in all seriousness. And I, I think it was really good to see, actually. So from one member of Frank's unit to another... We have the tracking of Gunnar Henderson and the rescue of him. This mm-hmm. kind of proxy war between Frank and Agent Orange through these special ops guys. Like, um, for me, this was absolutely fantastic, uh, drawn out sequence uh, of first person shooting style. I just loved it. It felt those body cams, seeing the guns, 
Um, and even with Gunnar Henderson, um, just kind of so elemental and raw, sort of all in camouflage, you know, pretending to be in his little cabin, the, the bow and arrow, I thought it was the trip wires, everything about it really screamed homeland here. And I, really enjoyed it i yeah. have to say yeah i thought it was um, really cool and congratulations chris you did work out exactly what was happening yes the person filming the death of zubair the murder of zubair was gunner henderson uh, who is the person that shared the footage so well done chris for catching that one hey thank you good very guess, much thank guess. you thank you uh, i i'd like to thank the academy awards <laughs> i'd like to thank the marvel cinematic universe the netflix universe um all our fellow defenders this is one this is not just for me this is a win for all of us yes it's one we got right well done chris uh, <laughs> but he is the only other member of the team other than billy russo that's had a line really so um it wasn't that far to guess that it would have been Gunnar Henderson. He was the guy that came up to Frank in episode two and uh, quoted the Bible passage at him. Uh, and then when Frank kind of shunned him, he was he went, I'm only joking, I'm not really that much into the Bible. So uh, yeah, yeah, I do like this character. It's kind of interesting that we saw that moment of him where he was a bit jokey and a bit kind of had a little bit of a playful moment with Frank. And now we see him completely gone to ground because of the fact that uh, he knows there's someone after him he knows that he needs to hide out from uh, from what's going on um yeah and he's right to because here comes agent urge with his new gang of uh of members of the army or yeah it looks kind of like uh members of uh, some kind of special unit mm. at least in training maybe and that this is an exercise i mean a real life exercise but one that, you know, they've been told these are enemies of the state uh, that need to be taken down, or at least Gunnar Henderson, because we do have that moment when uh, Rawlins discovers that Frank is still alive. Mm. I thought that was really good. You know, the the, the ghost uh, comes into view here. As he scares, stares down the camera directly into, uh, into Rawlins. Uh, yeah, I thought that was really good. Uh, one of the interesting things about this scene, I'm not sure about it. It's It's a weird one. I love the scene, I must say, but it is a very strange idea that all of these people that Frank is slaughtering effectively are all doing exactly what Frank did in Kandahar. Um, they're all yep. working for Rollins. They're all in those exact same positions like he was. You, I, I point you kill effectively was, was what uh, he was told back in Kandahar. That's what all of these people are doing. And Frank's not holding back at all, really, is he? No. Uh, he sees the, all of these guys as his enemy, um, not giving them any chance uh, to talk over the fact I used to work in your situation, anything like that. He's taken out every single one of them like they're his enemies that he would have fought in Kandahar. Yeah, it's that idea of just wounding them, um, you know, rather than killing them or knocking them out mm. with, with the butt of a rifle or something. Yeah, no, no, we did not see any butt of rifle. All we saw was a, uh, a an arrow to the neck. Yes, that was pretty brutal. That was brutal and amazingly cool. Mm. Yeah. It was Gunner, wasn't it? It was Gunner, yeah. yeah. So uh, I found this really interesting. One, um, how did they find Gunner? So obviously they they've known about Gunner for quite a while. Um, they they knew he was alive, yes. and they just would have got the name Gunner again from Dina's um, discussion. Mm -hmm. And it was just it, the timing here is quite interesting. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I think this is Cerberus two point Okay. Yep. This is Rollins' personal army. Yes. For clandestine and um, on on the ground, kind of home soil, homeland, if you will, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, operations. But I just thought it was it was this was a, an interesting. I thought because we had seen some of these 
scenes in the trailers. Um, we had seen one or two of them, like so Frank popping out, and some of the the teaser clips was him kind of in the woods. Now it wasn't these exact scenes; like it seemed like they cut some of them um, from the actual episode, but it was overall. I thought we had seen everything. Right. I was wrong. This was very well put together. It was an interesting battle, if you will. Yeah. Like I, 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 I thought Frank was down. I thought this was, we were going to have Gunner dead, Frank down, and taken into custody. Right. This one is something that really felt like it was coming straight from Punisher Max. It felt like those those moments when a Punisher is uh, fighting against an entire force as a one-man army. But he also is supported by Gunner here, which I like. I like the fact. And I also like the fact that it starts out with him getting injured. So he gets, uh, this is him, this is him injured. This is him with an arrow in his shoulder. You know, he's not at full capacity either and is still able to take out this replacement army effectively that Rollins has set up which is quite cool yeah and he gets hit by a bullet as well I have to say like were kind of Gunner and Frank come back together and and try and defend their position Mm -hmm. um after they've taken one of the guys out the guy who's impaled on that trap I have to say I think the shooting of that scene was fantastic were effectively they are in a crossfire situation and i loved how um dervla shot this scene because mm. you, you you see the the strategy of military tactics play here where one of the guys comes around shoots from behind the tree goes back but someone on the other side of their position comes out and fires so they're turned away from him and it's really clever sort of tactics here by this team mm-hmm. but but slowly and surely um they start getting picked off one by one and primarily um it's micro who we have to thank here from his little uh drone that is being used as air support where he can pick out the the members of the attacking force on gunner and frank and feed that information back to to frank and it's a really nice um, sort of in a in a nutshell, sort of just how military operations work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think of the news and you think of drones and people being in position r- doing recon and all this. Yeah, this was a really great scene. I absolutely love from start to finish from when Frank and Gunnar um, meet up and that kind of initial standoff to them being run down by the this team just how it was put together that whole sequence i thought was brilliant Definitely. i loved it yeah i'm in agreement with you um the, the one bit i found slightly really um was just the actual air support from micro uh-huh. where you see here you hear the drone take off mm-hmm. you can hear it visibly audibly i should say and yet when it's flying above the forest, they can't hear it. Right. And I'm like, what, do you just go stealth mode? And it goes, ding, and it just becomes super silent. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's a drone. That's all people would have heard. Like, it was like, oh, shoot that out of the air. Uh-huh. Someone's giving him support from the air. Or some kid locally is, is playing with his uh, drone. Potentially, but still shoot it down because that kid has a drone. He doesn't deserve a drone. <laughs> anyway. I thought there were moments where you could hear the drone overhead, but I wonder if it was just a heat of the battle thing. I mean, I know what you mean, Chris, definitely. I was thinking 
Do they know that they're being kind of reconned here or they should realize it given, you know, the number of their team that are are being killed off? Yeah, I also wondered about this, but I I just wondered whether it was a heat of the battle, you know, the heat of the chase um, where they're sort of tracking him down. But maybe they thought it was their own recon just not working very well um, or something like that. Yeah, you know? they, they certainly don't have a huge amount of time during this fight to think about much um, other than tracking down Frank and Gunner. There's not there's not a huge amount of time that goes past as Frank takes out people left, right and centre. Um, definitely some moments that were reminiscent of Predator here uh, as Frank hides out underneath uh, a, a bed of leaves and takes out one guy from behind as Gunner takes out another guy from behind a tree. I thought that was really cool. And the big one for me really was... Uh, a real aliens moment as Rollins looks on as the cam of the cameras of his guys and three or four of them go out one by one as as Frank takes out uh, each of the members of the team. Thought that was a really nice touch there, definitely. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed this scene. But uh, gentlemen, I think this brings us to the end of our notes or points for this episode. Um, do you have any Easter egg notes that you want to bring in at this point? The only one for me, which I thought was was really good fun, and it's kind of a bit of of, of a behind the scenes of the podcast. There's one thing that I always tell John he's not allowed to say on the podcast because it's when you're in an argument with John personally, when you're in a pub or having a chat with him, and he'll try and get a point across to you. He uses the phrase my point being, which is effectively his way of stopping you talking so that he can get his next point in. And I love that Micro uses exactly the same technique with Frank Castle in this. Chris, you've heard, you've heard John say this before. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to, I thought this, they literally wrote this character <laughs> for John. So he's already been envious of the fact that. Uh, Micro has his abs and now he's using his phrase and he's going to play one of his favorite comic characters, uh, Gene Wilder in a future movie. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Micro is John and John is Micro. <laughs> just need the beard. Yeah, exactly. Just need the beard. <laughs> Sorry, John. One final bit, just I really enjoyed, not really an Easter egg, but I really enjoyed where the, the hounds of hell, the Cerberus, that whole discussion when, uh, basically calling, yeah. You were spot the dog. That's <laughs> quite, quite a funny little moment. But again, I love how Frank just shuts that down. Really cool. But then we have Micro going, my point being. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think this is character assassination. Actually. <laughs> well, no, I do use it. I've, I do use it. I readily admit that. But, uh, yeah, it was nice to see it being such a, a well-used phrase in the Marvel universe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Go Micro. But... With that character assassination out of the way, I think we can ask my co-hosts whether they defend this episode of The Punisher or not. So first off, Christoph in the big city, do you defend this episode of The Punisher? I do defend it. Um, once more, I am starting to enjoy this um, each episode more and more. Um, the, the season is ramping up for me. Slow start, I'm not going to lie. I said this last episode. Um, but as each episode progresses, I'm finding myself more and more drawn into the intrigue, drawn into the thriller-like aspect. But given my, my Marvel je ne sais quoi, um, in certain spades as well. The action scene with uh, Gunner and Frank was fantastic. The actual reveal of William Rollins, uh, that speech fantastically de- designed and written so that you understand Potentially some of his thought process in this. Mm-hmm. 
Madani and Paige. As I said, I think this is potentially one of the best uh, character scenes for Paige um, so far. She's given two really strong morale-based but also intelligence-based stances Mm -hmm. and not just emotional-based, which sometimes fails for her character because she seems like a whiny little schoolgirl versus the strong woman that she is in this scene. But I've had my, I'm not going to go into this, a, a page assassination, character assassination piece. Uh, I think that's the same character assassination because John said character assassination. It's a good <laughs> word. I'm going to stick with it. The road trip was fun. I, I loved the, the art, the sub scene. And then finally, Madani and uh, Stein's kind of investigation. It was a well thought out. I'm now more interested about Stein and where that storyline's going to go. Mm-hmm. Is he just going to be the genuine good cop? best friend partner or is there more to the story uh, so overall i defend this episode i think as i said it's a strong fifth episode i want to see where it goes i'm hoping we don't get a bit of drag episodes and exposition episodes but uh let's wait and see john do you defend this episode of the punisher I do defend this episode of The Punisher. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of criteria to use here, actually. Um, I've got a few, but I think this is, for me, four and a half milky winks out of five in honour of Bill Rawlins. Yes, um, I do think that his introduction was fantastic. Uh, really, really enjoyed seeing him sort of with his speech at the start to the new recruits. Uh, really good. And then for me, absolutely enjoyed the, the chase through the woods of mm-hmm. Gunnar and, uh, and Frank by this special ops team with obviously Rawlins at the desk at the console watching this live. I thought it was really, really good. Um, really enjoyed Karen Page in this episode as well uh, and her interaction with Madani. Um, and I liked Madani in this episode. She really grew on me both in terms of her interactions and trusting Stein. I think um, her relationship with Billy Russo is really interesting that this is being um, done, this kind of technique of trying to find information. It, it's something different for, for Marvel. And, you know, I always tip my hat to to that kind of writing, it, um, you know, pushing that boundaries for this particular studio and, and so on. Yeah, the my point being is that uh, I really enjoyed that foot-long sub-moment on, on the road trip as well. I think it was a genuine moment of hilarity. Uh, and I think that uh, Eben Moss Bacharach played that perfectly mm-hmm. as well as john bernthal as well with his hurt you know his wounded dog look um back at him yeah. uh, as he's eating some kind of dehydrated gunk um i just thought was fantastic um so for me yeah there's really good this series is just building and building for me at the moment with my with my ratings i'm really enjoying you know episode by episode it's just it's getting Really good for me. I uh, really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. So 4.5 Milky Winks out of 5. Which I think is better than my other one that I was going to go with, which was slightly metaphysical, which was 4.5 Endless Echoes of Loneliness out of 5. <laughs> <laughs> 
Which I think, you know, that's kind of deep, I think. That's pretty deep. That's pretty deep. It's yeah, I prefer the Milky Winks. Yeah, me too. It's like Milky Moose or something. It's a, it's some kind of new sweet. Yes. But with that, Derek, do you defend this episode of The Punisher? I do defend this episode of The Punisher. Um, I think this is probably my favourite of the season so far. Uh, I think everybody gets something cool to do um, or something interesting to do in this episode. And I have to say the direction for this episode is, is probably my favourite. Um, the scene in the, in the woods, uh, some elements of it like first-person shooters from for gamers, some elements of it like Aliens, some like Predator, thought that was really, really interesting. Uh, definitely one of my favourite episodes so far and will hopefully only get better. With our defence out of the way, time for the feedback for this episode if you want to send us in your feedback as always you can email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or pop on the website at defenderstvpodcast.com and leave us a voicemail just by clicking the send a voicemail button uh, or you can join us over on our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash defenderstvpodcast.com and leave your comments in the spoiler posts we have up there for each of the episodes for this season of the punisher uh, first up from our facebook group we have tina brown yes Tina Brown says, I am preferring the Frank micro arc at the moment. As long as Dina is a step behind them, all she seems to do is uncover stuff we already know. That hurts the pacing a bit, but micro is giving a real great performance as a man right on the edge. Having gotten this far, I think I have to finish today. Very suspenseful, and I love that more of a thriller vibe than the other series. Yeah, absolutely. There is a great thriller vibe here uh, in, in this uh, Punisher series so far. Definitely, definitely. Justin Mansfield says, OMG, that Madame Russo scene. Um, yeah, I think I think we're all a bit shocked about that, that scene being in this episode of a, of a Netflix Marvel show. Yes. Longtime fellow defender Ronaldo goes on to say, Love the scene in the woods. Little bit of aliens there with Agent Orange watching all the Merc's GoPros. You really do get the sense that poor Gunner has lived in a lonely existence away from the world. We never see him in civvies. He is and always will be a soldier. Yet another comment, much like Lewis, on the effects wars can have on soldiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true, very true. There's uh, there's many, many different commentaries throughout the series of, of what war has done to the soldiers that are left behind after they've finished their war. Um, yeah, and this is another another sad ending to another character that, uh, that was yeah. on the team. No, absolutely. It's definitely death by paranoia and obviously the gunshot uh, ultimately to, mm. to his stomach. You know, R.I.P. poor old gunner. Well, is it really paranoia if they are out to get you? Well, that's, that's true. That's kind that of is thing. True. That is true. You never know. Micro may have gotten back out of that van and dragged Gunner back into the van with himself and Frank. No. Yeah, I wonder yeah. how Frank is going to view the fact that he left a man out there mm. to be eaten by the worms. Yeah, we never, never know. I guess we will know next time. Actually, I guess we'll we'll find that out. Jeff Charles says, as John mentioned, I think I'd have a real complex if I was Stein. He keeps getting kicked out of every room in the uh, in every building that he's in. Yeah, poor poor Sam Stein. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's time for Sam to have his own office. Absolutely, and he can kick everybody else out of it. Exactly. No, they just kick him out of it. <laughs> Get need, out of your own room. Sam. I need this room for a moment. Get out, Sam. Yeah. Thanks so much for all the feedback. Yeah, thank you. And of course. As always, please head on over and subscribe, rate us, uh, and leave a review over on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any other good or evil podcast catcher. It is always great to share the love, and by doing so, uh, you really help uh, us grow our podcast. 
And uh, we previously had some comments about why your grandmothers may want to know about this podcast. Well, I am here to tell you why. Grandmothers like The Punisher. And I settle in. This is a bit of a long one. We're going to go on a journey here. Go with me. Go with me, <laughs> if you will. We're going to go on a journey where a grandmother is remembering her time, her, lo- her long lost Billy who went off to war. Do you know what Billy looked like? He looked like John Bertha. Do you know who he sounded like? Frank Castle. Your grandmother is going to relive the the youth of her uh, long love before he disappeared to war and never came back. Rest in peace. Unfortunately, so tell your grandmother about the Punisher and how her lost love is back reincarnated in a anti-hero named Punisher. Now, okay, I'm going to work on this, people. Every episode, I'm going to come back with a better and better reason why your grandmother (laughs) would like this. I thought we were going with grandfathers this season. I was going to, but the grandmothers love it. I'm telling you. (laughs) Well, thanks for that, Chris. Um, As John mentioned, please subscribe to the podcast to hear all of Chris's reasons why grandmothers or grandfathers might like our podcast. I can only I can only think that it is Billy Russo. That's why grandmothers like the Punisher because go. we have the Marvel abs on show. Absolutely. Well, we'll be back with our review of the next episode of the Punisher and maybe another reason from Chris. Uh, episode six, the Judas Goat, will be out next Friday, the fifteenth of December, and every week from then on until we finish the series. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, as always, thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure. I'm off to my echo chamber of. Endless Loneliness. It's equivalent to the Fortress of Solitude by in Superman. But I will be back from my lonely echo chamber to speak with you next time. Thanks for joining us. And because it's an echo chamber, John just seems to go on and on and on. Thank you very much, fellow defenders. And we will chat to you next episode. Uh, Chris, this is your final time recording from New York for Defenders TV Podcast, isn't it? It is. I have been to Hell's Kitchen. Um, I have tried my best to find multiple... Uh, recording places so I could get some behind the scenes photos or something for the group uh, for our accounts and for our fellow defenders. Unfortunately I think they like recording at like 3am or something like that because I look like Daredevil now. I'm just loitering around Hell's Kitchen at like 3 in the morning going, hello? No? Okay. I love it. it. Uh, But yes, I will be back in the Green Isles uh, of Ireland for our next episode um, and I'll hopefully I will have some better news about why your granny or grandfather may enjoy The Punisher. One final question about your time in New York, Chris. Did you ever find out whether every single greasy spoon type diner serves sourdough bread with their uh, with their eggs? I think he was in a hipster diner. I'm sorry, people. Even though she did slag him about being, being a hipster. Okay. Okay. Good. Good, good research yeah. there, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. From your from your uh, defender in the field, I have been Chris Jones, and this has been Defender TV Podcast. Until next time, we will see you for The Punisher, Episode 6, The Judas Goat, next Friday. Yes, thank you so much for listening. Bye, 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 <laughs> bye, bye. That's my echo chamber. Now you a lot of people stand in the blues, but I'm gonna tell you what the blues is. When you ain't got no money, you got the blues.
Um, and I think that kind of brings us the end of our war journal notes. Yes. Uh, and I think that brings us to the end of our word. <laughs> and I think that brings us to the end of our war journal points. Oh, I can't get this fucking. One more what time. What is wrong? One more time. Yeah, one more time. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed this scene. But, uh, gentlemen, I think this brings us to the end of our notes or points for this episode. Um, do you have any Easter egg notes that you want to bring in at this point? Time for the feedback for this episode. If you want to send us in your feedback, as I mentioned earlier on, you can email us at feedback at Gotham. Balls. <laughs> Two podcasts in a day. That, that's what that, I did it the other way around on the other podcast. 